Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. Hi there, my name's David Leeper. I'm a nurse. I've been working for NCHC since 2011 and my current job role is I'm a health team manager within the Learning Disability Service in the North Place. Thank you for joining me today, David. So tell me a little bit about yourself. So I'm just into my 40s. I live in North Walsham. I've I live with my husband. Uh, I've been a nurse. I started my training in 2004. I've been around the block in NCHNC, I think it's fair to say. I've had several roles in the last 11 years, but I've joined Learning Disabilities Services since August this year as a new challenge. And it's actually something that I did as part of my own mental well-being and recovery from a mental unwellness episode. I like to always refer to my mental health as mental unwellness. I don't like the term mental illness. I think it sounds too negative in connotation. I suppose I'm here today to hopefully talk to people about my own journey and things I've found helpful, things I've found less helpful, and to give some advice to anyone who might want to hear about mental unwellness. I love that you call it that. I think you're absolutely right. The language we use is so important. You mentioned that you had a a spell of mental unwellness. Are you happy to talk about what happened? Of course, yeah. I think talking about your experiences is really important because it helps others that perhaps haven't had those experiences in their own lives understand it from somebody who has gone through them. So I've got quite an extensive mental unwellness history. Um, I've, I've had episodes of unwellness throughout my whole adult life, starting from around age of 17, which was linked to my acceptance of my own sexuality and the coming out process, which was very different back in the that would have been around the millennium. But um, it's always been, for me, episodes of anxiety and depression. So I think mental ill health and mental unwellness can be a number of different conditions, and they all can tend to merge into one, into this big ball of confusion and a cloud of despair that people can experience. So for myself, I've had episodes where I really lose touch with who I am as a person and that cloud becomes all encompassing. There's a term you can't see the wood for the trees. That's very true. That's my experience. And I've had to rely very heavily on both the employers. So in this case, NCHNC, external people, I'm sure we'll talk about what's out there in a little while. But for me, medication's been a real help. So I've been on and off and antidepressants throughout my adult life, currently on antidepressants, and find that they are, for some people, really effective and really helpful. They're not the solution to everybody. But for me, I found being on an antidepressant the last, I think it's just over a year now, has really helped me with my recovery. That coupled with talking therapies and other um, interventions that you can you can seek out to support you. For me, managing my mental unwellness is very much about talking and being open and being honest, which is why I'm really grateful I've got this opportunity today. Equally, there are times where I can't talk about my mental unwellness, and that's normally when I'm experiencing a period of poor mental wellness. When you are in those situations, you you don't always appreciate and can't always acknowledge that you're actually in those situations. So that's why support from people around you and conversations 
before you're in that position are really valuable because when you're in crisis or when I'm in crisis and I feel that I've got um, no control over situations, I lean heavily on those around me to say, oh, David, we don't think you're in a good place at the moment. Should we have a conversation about that? I'm interested to know how that manifests for you, because for me, if I'm feeling like I'm in crisis, I look more like I'm in control than ever before. Whereas actually I'm pretending to be fine. I'm putting on more of a front to look like I'm coping. So how does it manifest with you? Does your husband literally take one look at you and go, you're not okay? So unfortunately for my husband, he does say those things, but he's the first person I don't listen to, which is typical for most relationships, I suppose. But he will be a good temperature check, a good thermometer for me to say, how are things? Um, So I think as you experience more episodes, you do start to see and understand your own triggers. So for me, sleeping And that can be either way. It can be increased sleeping, so excessive amounts of sleeping, sleeping in the daytime on a non-working day, um, wanting to have afternoon naps that become more than a nap. And then the other side is insomnia. So when I'm really suffering uh, with unwellness, I have periods of insomnia. And that insomnia, as I refer to it as my three o'clock press conference, because it's the time that your brain is alert and everybody else in the feelings everyone else in the world is resting and asleep but you've got this press conference in your brain that won't switch off you can try and rationalize that actually it's three in the morning you should be asleep you need your rest for tomorrow but that doesn't stop the questions that come through about oh I wonder if I had have handled that situation differently yesterday um quickly followed by, oh, what should I have for breakfast in the morning? Oh, I wonder how many tiles there are on the bathroom wall. And it can be something really, really simple and meaningless that you can fixate on. Oh, what were the lyrics of that song I heard three weeks ago? Oh, and then you have to Google it to find out what the lyrics are because you can't accept that it's not important. Uh, I think in work, the symptoms and signs that I've identified is, again, as you said, Miranda, it's focusing on everything with acute attention so not letting anything go feeling like you have to be in control of all situations which in reality is never achievable even if you are you know as well as you can be and another thing for me is I will over analyze situations that don't need that energy so previous conversations uh, situations at work that perhaps you think should have gone better could have gone better they probably went absolutely fine you're then unpicking those for several days afterwards. And then that comes with the additional pressure of things seem to slip. You you start to notice you're making more lists and you're you're focusing on the negative elements of what you haven't achieved in a working day rather than what you have achieved in a working day. Um, for me, physically, I'll stop going to the gym. I'll stop following my healthy eating regime. I'll stop going for my healthy walks that I do every morning before work. All of those things that will support your mental well-being are the things you give up first. So and again, that can be something that can be reflected back to you. So, you know, colleagues might say, oh, I've noticed you haven't been going for a walk this week. Again, you wouldn't notice it because you're in that that kind of quagmire of, of ill feelings, maybe. And until it's pointed out and reflected back to you, sometimes you you don't appreciate that all of those signs and symptoms are there, but you just choose to not see them. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people, everything that you just said. I mean, I particularly hear you on the 3am press conference 
and you said there that these things get pointed out to you when they slip and you're right you you will often get rid of the things that make you feel good how can you hear those people when they say that to you I think historically I haven't it's been hitting a crisis and then realizing that these people have been bringing these to your attention for a while if I'm completely honest, having a really, really open and transparent relationship with your line manager, particularly if you suffer from mental unwellness, is really important. So my experiences of line management as a member of staff is I've had some really supportive and understanding line managers. But unfortunately, I've had some managers that haven't been as supportive and perhaps not as insightful as to me and my condition and how they can support me. And that makes such a difference because when your manager is able to sit you down and say I think we better have some time together to just see how you're feeling outside of the usual supervision and outside of the usual management conversations you have that's when you tend to listen and that's when my managers have advocated for me in the past that David I think you're probably at the point where you need to see your GP or David you're at the point where I think you need some time off have you considered some annual leave you know, do you feel well enough to be at work with that very open and direct question? And normally I've responded with that by saying, actually, I think you're right. I probably do need to see these people. And sometimes that's ended up in an absence period. Sometimes it hasn't. Um, the trust are very good at supporting staff when they know about it. I think one of the, I, I am a manager and, and so I can see it from both, both sides. And as a manager, I, I, I'd strongly say if I know how I can support a member of my team, then I'm all for that and I advocate for that because we can't act upon something as managers that we don't know about and there's a I think there is a bit of a perception that managers want to manage a situation in such a way that it's going to be a negative experience so you're in trouble for going off work you know you haven't come to me therefore I can't help you as a manager I think as a leader I don't like the term manager it's it's quite different I, I want to be able to support people to do their best and feel their best both physically and mentally so I would really really advocate that conversation with with your leader and that can be difficult at first particularly if you haven't acknowledged those thoughts and feelings in the past with your manager or your leader because you you might think you're going to be perceived as weak if you're acknowledging that you've got these vulnerabilities and these things to consider However, I, I've now treated that quite the opposite in the past few years and see it as a real strength that I feel comfortable enough and strong enough to be able to say, I can't cope with this situation or I need support. I think once somebody has crossed that bridge of raising their concerns about their own well-being, it makes the whole situation a lot easier. I, I know particularly thinking about Men's Health Month and Men's Health Day, men particularly we do struggle with with talking honestly and openly about our feelings and about our physical and mental well-being and you know again that alpha male scenario which I'm quite fortunate I've never really had much issue with thinking about myself as an alpha male in society but for some chaps that will be a consideration will I be seen as weak if I do this but that's the mental unwellness talking that's not you as a person I'm going to quote RuPaul now. Um, so RuPaul, for those that don't know, is a very famous drag queen in from America who um, now does RuPaul's Drag Race UK and other areas. But RuPaul always ends every episode by saying, if you're not well enough to look after yourself, how are you expected to look after anyone else? And 
for me, that was a challenge in the past. It was a challenge to say, I need some time off. I need to breathe. I need to take a step back. Mental unwellness isn't something that is a linear process of A to B and then you're cured, unfortunately. And, you know, with, with all the demands that are on us all at the moment, I think the prevalence of mental unwellness is increasing, particularly in the health service. We talk about burnout. We talk about stress. We talk about um, under-resourced teams. It's going to get worse, not better. So I think we need to get better, not worse, at supporting people with it. Absolutely. And finding that resilience in ourselves when we when we know that we're not well, you know, finding the strength to seek help, especially for men who we know don't like, as you say, we know don't talk as much as women. And it's just sort of breaking down those barriers and those stigmas that you that you can't do that when you absolutely can. And you said yourself that it's a strength and you're right. It is a real strength to to seek help because that is one of the hardest things you can do in your life. And you mentioned previously about certain therapies. So when we talk about help, you know, what, what kind of help did you seek and, and are you having? So I've had a variety of different interventions in the past. So I've gone through the wellbeing service via Norfolk and Waveney Wellbeing. So that's the like the mental health uh, support that's available to all people in Norfolk and Waveney. That can come with some frustration because of the pressures within mental health services and timelines and waiting times. But I had some CBT, which is cognitive behaviour therapy through them. And that's ways of looking at your behaviour and your responses to um, thoughts, feelings, things you're doing. Um, and that's normally a six to 12 week um, course that you have with one practitioner. And it gives you real practical steps of how to manage your thoughts and feelings and triggers and behaviour. So if you notice you're starting to show those behaviours of withdrawing, the CBT gave me some tips and tricks to acknowledge it and act upon it rather than ignore it completely. I've also used, um, in well, it was Insight before through the Trust. So Insight was the telephone support service that the Trust has. It's now um, Vita Health Group. So I've accessed that and I've also signposted colleagues to that when they've been struggling. And that's a telephone support mechanism. They offer some really good sessions and we'll tailor it to the individual GP the GP has been fantastic uh, there's a mental health nurse attached to my GP practice so when I was off the most recent absence I actually got a very quick turnaround weekly support from the mental health practitioner within the practice and that was fundamental in me realizing that I can actually take control of my work situation be brave enough to step away from my current role, which was leadership at the time, go back to the shop floor, so to speak, and, and become a nurse in a downbanded position, which is a, an active choice I made, and focus on my recovery. So that the, the GP has been really helpful. And they can also help with the medication requirements. I've also used tools and tips from within the trust itself. So we've got a very good wellbeing page and there's a wellness action plan. So a wellness action plan is something you devise as an individual and it asks you questions and directs you through how can you help yourself when you're feeling unwell? How can the trust help you when you're feeling unwell? And how can your line manager help you when you're feeling unwell? And that's more around, for me, it was around mental unwellness, but that's also designed for physical unwellness as well. Most of all for work, having that open and honest conversation. And if you feel that if, if you feel that you can't have the open and honest conversation with your line manager, 
you can have it with somebody there's the mental health first aiders at work so I've utilized them before and they're people that have had additional training to support our colleagues so I've, I've used a variety to summarize I've used an awful lot the ones I've found most helpful are normally the talking therapies so even if it's with somebody that isn't qualified just being able to talk and share your thoughts and feelings can unpack it from your brain and that can really help to remove the situation help you then look at it objectively I think for me listening to you talking there it's a lot of that is you have to make the first step and I think that's the biggest struggle is taking that first step and I don't know about you but encouraging people to do that is so important and I don't think we should start shy away from that and I saw something a great image in your um, email signature actually David that said look at your colleagues if someone doesn't look quite right or they're not acting in the normal in the way they would normally act talk to them ask them if they're okay and I think for men particularly this is so important if you notice that your mates are acting differently like you said you know sleeping a lot or just withdrawing just not acting in the way that they would normally act ask them if they're okay because I think if someone isn't okay it will take a little while to make that first step towards a therapy. I mean, did you find that yourself when you first went to the very first therapy? Did it take you a little while to make that call? Yeah, yeah, it did. And it, fortunately, I was I was quite young then. I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I felt like, it, I mean, it was a very different support mechanism 20 years ago to what it is now. The doctor said I had to do it, so I must do it. These days, it's easier the more you do it, I suppose. So, yeah, you're right. My email signature, I do have something that says be in your colleague's corner. One in four of us will experience mental health problems this year. If a teammate is acting differently, step in. And that was a campaign that was done by Time to Change. Um, so I, I always leave that on my email signature for every email I send, both internally and externally. It's a strong message. With regards to how easy is it to do, it's never going to be easy. If you don't want to speak to your line manager and you feel that you need to speak to somebody, I would suggest the mental health first aiders because they will have all of the information and all of that helpful guidance of who to contact and when. And you, you would just need to choose somebody. I think the, the, the main takeaway point is just to speak to somebody, might even be a colleague. If you're going to ask somebody how they're feeling, just expect that they might want to talk to you and open up. So. If you are going to ask the question, just expect that they might want to speak to you more than saying I'm fine, which is the token response we all give. Well, actually, if I'm not fine and you ask me, I might want to tell you. So you might want to consider how long you've got in a conversation or a time frame to ask that open question. I think that's really good advice. It's an interesting point to, to really consider when you're asking that question, not to just make it a throwaway rhetorical question. I think as well it's important to say that you you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink the, the person has to want to get help let's just keep the honesty and the openness there let's break down the stigma of saying that I'm holding your hand up and saying I'm not okay because actually there are so many people out there who who want to help you know it's not just these therapies it's us it's it's colleagues it's family it's friends you know if you're struggling we want to help you so I think the main takeaway for me from this conversation is just don't suffer in silence. Absolutely. There's no need to to suffer, particularly in the organisation. 
Um, you're right with your comments if you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I think with mental unwellness, there is an element of you might not realise that you need to drink. So using that analogy, I think it's important to say you may not even know that you need some support at that stage. And that can be frustrating for somebody on the peripheries who wants to offer help. You're right. People have their own minds and need to make their own decisions. So if anyone's listening to this and they're thinking, like as I am you know you're super brave and and wonderful for coming forward and telling us your story I think it's going to help so many people I think what you've talked about will really resonate with people but what would be a piece of advice that you would give someone if they're listening to this and they are struggling or they're not they don't even know they're struggling but they sort of are listening to this and things you're saying are resonating with them what would you say to somebody as a sort of takeaway from this conversation my biggest piece of advice would be don't feel too afraid of speaking up to somebody that you feel comfortable speaking up to. And if you don't have that person, there are people out there more centrally who could be that person you could talk to. So I would say be brave, make that first step. And it may, may open a, a can of worms, so to speak, and you may then have a journey to go through. But with that help and support, you will I guarantee you will start to feel better. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.